notes, but I want to speak to you like a brother. Is that okay? So say what's up, bro. <laughs> I want you to turn with me to the book of John. Excuse me, excuse me. First Thessalonians. Let's start there. First Thessalonians 3. And uh, I want to share a message that the Lord put upon my heart. Um, man, uh, many, many weeks ago. And uh, I want to share it. And I have a title for this message. Uh, those of you that have ever, ever watched the, uh, the, the serious program documentary, uh, Maury, you know that <laughs> there's a statement that is famous all over the world. You are the father. <laughs> or for those of you ladies out there, you are the mother. Amen. Tell somebody next to you, no, nah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Amen. You are the father. You are the father. Or the mother. Amen. Do you have First Thessalonians? Chapter 3. Amen. And we're going to read. Uh, there's, there's a number of scriptures, but I'm going to try to narrow it down here. Um, let's start in verse uh, 1. It says, Therefore we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish and encourage you concerning the faith. Can you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for your word. I ask that you would bring your word alive. I pray that you would bring it in a clear fashion and that you would touch minds and hearts throughout this entire room. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, one of the hardest things in life that I'm learning, right, is uh, to face the fact that you're getting older. Amen. Um, I actually just celebrated a birthday last week. I turned 40 years old, right? Come on, give it up, give it up. <laughs> I am also still accepting gifts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, actually, I was encouraged today. This was not in my notes, but I was encouraged today to know that Geronimo is older than me. He's 41, <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Um, but, but one of the, I'm sorry about that. Um, one of the hardest things in life is to face the fact that you are getting older, right? It seems like when you were younger, you were in a rush to get older. And then as you actually get older, it seems like you want to slow time down, doesn't it? Those of you that are a little older. Uh, so I found a list of things. Uh, there are 20 things that these are ways that you can know that you're actually getting older. Amen. Great list. I love it. Right? Uh, 20 ways that you know that you're getting older, amen? For those of you young people that are listening, you're not going to have a clue of any of this stuff, right? But I want to share this list with you. 20 ways you know you're getting older. Number one, you own a cat. <laughs> Number two, you actually have bought a vacuum cleaner. Number three, you can't walk past a bathroom without thinking, well, I might as well use it while I'm here. Number four, these are ways you know you're getting older. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Number five, you wake up early on mornings that you could sleep in. Number six, a new washer and dryer make you incredibly happy. <laughs> Number seven, you hear yourself and you sound just like your mother. Number eight, you feel like the morning after, but you haven't been anywhere. Number nine, you look forward to a dull evening. 
Number 10, your knees buckle and your belt won't. <laughs> Number 11, your back goes out more than you do. <laughs> Number 12, you know all the answers, but nobody's asking the questions. You consider coffee one of the most important things in life. Number 14, you answer questions with, because I said so. Number 15, you quit trying to hold in your stomach no matter who walks in the room. <laughs> Number 16, you turn out the lights in your house for economic reasons rather than romantic reasons. <laughs> right? Number 17, you know what a little black book is. Number 18, your little black book only contains names that end in MD. <laughs> I'll let that sink in for a little while. <laughs> Number 19, people call at 9 p.m. and ask, are you still up? <laughs> and last but not least, on 20 ways, these are ways that you know you're getting older. That little old gray-haired lady you helped across the street is your wife. <laughs> I let my wife read this. She okayed it. Oh, some of us are getting old, aren't we? Most people, when they grow older in age, the thing that's also expected to grow with age is maturity. In fact, the older someone is, the more you notice their maturity level or the lack thereof. Isn't that true? What you ask are some signs of maturity. I want to give you a few. Number one, you accept responsibility for your actions. Right or wrong, you accept responsibility. Number two, you fulfill, you fulfill your commitments, things like bills, promises, etc. These are signs of maturity. Number three, you look more towards quality than quantity. Number four, you invest in the things that last more than just the moment. And number five, you go from borrower to owner. See, that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about ownership. See, there's a big difference between having a car and having a car with the title. Hello, somebody. When you're younger, you plug in your phone, your iPad, your iPod, you have all the lights on, the TV on, the radio on, all at the same time. But when that pg and &E bill has your name on it, <laughs> ownership makes a difference, doesn't it? See, immaturity means this. It means lack of responsibility. That's what immaturity means. Or let me say it this way. Immaturity means lack of ownership. And so the price that one pays to own something, it often reflects these three things. It often reflects their willingness to make lifestyle changes to get what they want. It also reflects their level of commitment to bring dreaming or want to reality. And thirdly, it also reflects their clear understanding of the capabilities and the willingness and to take the risks in despite of themselves. That's what it means when somebody owns something. These are the things, and this is the price. It reflects those things. See, from the very beginning, you have to understand something, that God intended us to be owners. From the very beginning, when we look to Adam and Eve, God's plan for our lives involved ownership. We were supposed to have dominion over the land. 
We were supposed to have ownership over God's creation. We weren't. Read it. It's in Genesis. Right? But somehow in our sin, right, it was, we, it, the roles were switched. And we went from owners to actually being under a curse. Right? We became slaves to what we were supposed to own. In fact, this is a little side note, till today, and you can study this if you want, we're still slaves to the earth or to the ground, right? Give you a perfect example. Money's printed on cotton. And where does cotton come from? It comes from the ground. We're still ruled by it. Amen? That's a side note. <laughs> yeah. In Thessalonians, Paul, he's expressing his love and his, his encouragement to the Thessalonian church. It was a church that he pioneered, that he started, and that he loved. Many of his spiritual children were being persecuted in that church when he left. That church was in the middle of a, of a huge rocking. And so Paul, when he's writing the Thessalonians, he's hearing of all the things that are going on. And so he's writing them to encourage them. Bible says, if you read it, that Paul was actually trying to physically get to, back to Thessalonica. And he was trying to go there to encourage his church so that they wouldn't fall apart. But instead... The Bible says that Satan actually interfered and stopped them from going. So Paul and Silas, they were in Athens. They came up with an idea to send Timothy. And Paul talks about Timothy here in a way that I want to bring out tonight. It talks about ownership. See, Paul talks about sending his co-worker and his spiritual son Timothy to help this struggling church. We see a unique glimpse into this man, this man Timothy, who went from a teenage convert, right, to a pastor of a mega church at 37 years old. See, what caused this young boy to grow in favor with God and to grow in favor with Paul so quick? We can see a lot just by the way Paul talks about Timothy. And so I want to look at that tonight. Little history on Timothy. Timothy was 16 years old when he gave his life to the Lord. He got saved when Paul visited a city there in, I believe it's Lystra, and he went, on his, you know, he went on his first missionary journey with Paul and Silas at 21 years old. And for 16 years, right, he worked next to Paul until finally at 37 years old, he was left in Ephesus to take over a church. 37 years old. Think about that. From 16 to 37, there was a transformation that took place. We know that Timothy was raised in a godly home. His mother was saved. His grandmother was saved. And he could have taken any choice or any path in life. But we see he took the choice and he took the path to serve as a missionary, as an evangelist, and eventually as a pastor. So what happened during that time that caused him to grow? What happened during that time where this transformation was going on that actually made him into the man that he was, you know, talked about here in Thessalonians? I believe that Timothy, over that time, began to take ownership of a few things. He began to take ownership of his life, ownership of his calling, ownership of his ministry. See, without us taking ownership in our lives and in our perspective and in our actions, we stay simply in the participation stage. We all come in in the participation stage, right? We come in as spectators. We really don't know what to expect giving our lives to the Lord, Walking into a church like this, we really don't know. So we all come in in that stage. And so without us actually taking ownership, we'll stay in that stage. I mean, I believe there's people that have stayed in that stage for years, some decades. 
But when you begin to take ownership of these things and ownership of your life and your calling and ministry, then you realize something changes in your life. See, Timothy took ownership of three areas, and these three areas I'm going to be talking about tonight. And it led him to find his place and to fulfill his calling at a young age. And I want to give you these three things really quickly. The three things that Timothy took ownership of in his own personal life. Timothy took ownership of his identity in God. He took ownership of God's work. And lastly, Timothy took ownership of God's authority. These are three areas, and I'm, I'm going to really quickly break them down. But we're talking about ownership tonight, right? You are the father. Amen? Number one, Timothy took ownership of his identity in God. In verse 2, we see Paul talking about it. And it says, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker. See, for some reason or another, most people do not feel a personal responsibility for their relationship with God. It's true. In fact, most base how they're doing with God on circumstances, on trials, on blessings, or if they're feeling it today. Most people do. In fact, we are wholly responsible for a strong relationship with God or a weak one. We are. See, it's easy to get caught up in statements like, well, I'm just so busy. That's why I don't pray. Or we can get caught up in statements like, man, I couldn't get into worship today because AJ was off, which he wasn't, right? Which he wasn't. See, when you understand who God made you to be and the type of relationship that he desires with you, not with everybody else, with you, right? Then you have to make steps to adjust to grow in that area, right? I'm going to give you an example, all right? Now, let's say that Pastor Daryl, right? Say I'm a restaurant owner, okay? And I tell Pastor Daryl, Pastor Daryl, you're going to be my cook, and I'm going to pay you $60 an hour to cook. Ooh, come on, somebody, <laughs> right? It's a prophecy over here. No, just kidding. $60 an hour to cook. I'm going to put you through training, Pastor Daryl. And in this training, you're going to learn how to cook. I know you don't know how to cook. I'm going to teach you how to cook. Okay? This is not real, Pastor. Okay? I don't own a restaurant, and I'm not going to pay you $60 an hour. But I have a restaurant, and I'm telling you, I'm going to train you. I'm going to put you through training. As you, as you learn, I'm going to still pay you $60 an hour. Now, if you tell somebody that, what do you think they're going to do when they go to that training? They're going to pay attention, right? What do you think when they go to work? How are they going to work? They're going to work hard for that $60, right? When people ask them, what do you do for a living? What are they going to say? I'm a cook, right? Because you create this identity at $60 an hour, doesn't it sound right? See, it's the same way when it comes to taking ownership and responsibility with God. It's the same way. Because God, is a, he has something for our lives. He has something specific for your life. And he's willing to train you to do it. And he's willing to bless you while you learn. Right? But for some reason or another, we have a hard time accepting that. We have a hard time growing into it. We have a hard time looking at ourselves as men and women of God. We have a hard time at looking at ourselves as ministers of the gospel, right? Or am I the only one? Timothy, could he could have remained, hear me now, he could have remained a son or a grandson of a strong Christian mom 
or a grandma. He could have remained in that identity for years, probably his whole life. But that wasn't enough for Timothy because he began to say in his own heart, in his own mind, I know my family loves God and is well respected in the church, but I have my own calling too. Huh? You know, he has, I have my own purpose. I have my own stuff. I know there's apostles and I know there's other men spreading the gospel around the world, but I have something to offer too. See, in our lives, we, it's easy to come into a place and say, well, man, there's pastors, right? There's other men of God. There's other people doing this stuff. But we have our own individual's calling. We have our own purpose within this great ministry and within this great calling from God. See, he owned it, is what Timothy did. He owned it. Paul said, I'm sending our brother. And trip off this, he calls Timothy God's fellow worker. He didn't say, I'm sending Eunice's son. He didn't say, I'm sending Lois's grandson. See, he was known as a brother to Paul and Silas and to all apostles. He was also known as God's fellow worker because he, what he did to fulfill God's heavenly calling was not just another, you know, wasn't just another thing he did, right? It wasn't just another man's order that he was following. He was following the heavenly calling. He was following something that he felt was directly from the throne room of God. In your life, in order to take ownership, you're going to have to understand that you're called. Tell the person next to you, you're called. I know there's other people called. I know there's other people that are doing certain things, but you're called. You're called. And until you see that as your calling, you'll remain just a spectator. Hear me now. I have a question for you. What are you known as? What are you known as? Right? Timothy was known as a brother. He was known as God's fellow worker. What are you known as tonight? Right? See, God has a calling, but that calling has to become your calling. Do you pray because you know God actually wants to talk to you? A lot of people just pray because they know it's something to do, know it's right. But do you pray because you know God really is waiting to talk to you personally? He has a meeting set up for you. Have you took ownership of your godly identity? See, Timothy, he took ownership of it. He said, this is who I am. I'm a brother in Christ. I'm a worker with Christ. I'm a fellow worker. What an honor to be known as God's fellow worker, wouldn't you say? Secondly, Timothy, he took ownership of God's work. We see in that verse in 1 Thessalonians, it says that he was a, a partner in spreading the gospel of Christ. Jesus said in Luke 2.49, did you not know when his parents were looking for him, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? See, God, God has a business. Did you know that? God has a business. I'm sure that Timothy, he faced the same challenges that me and you face, right? He probably wanted the same things, stability, prosperity, and happiness, right? Who doesn't want those things? One might even say, hear me now, one might even say that they honor God by providing a good life for themselves and for their families. It's an honorable thing. One might even say that that's how they honor God. One might say that their family comes first, just like the tattoo. You ever seen that? Family first, right? Or the shirts. One might say that that's how they honor God, by putting their family first. And it sounds good. It really does sound good. And it definitely holds some truth. But hear me. 
I have something to say about this. What we must understand is everything holds a godly order. Everything. Your job has a godly order. Did you know that? Your ministry, your family, your children, your wife, your husband, they have an order in God's house, in God's business. And I have learned that if you take care of God's business first, that he'll take care of your business. If you put God's business before your business, then he'll take care of your business. How many know we want God to take care of our business, right? Too many of, you know, too many, God's work is better left for, for too many. God's work is better left to be done by the professionals, right? People like pastors or ministers or leaders, right? Too many say that, man, I'll leave it for them. But all throughout the world, we see the opposite. All throughout the scriptures, we see the opposite. We see God puts a high priority on heavenly duties. He puts a high priority. Each believer, everyone in this room, each believer has a daily duty to accomplish for God. Did you know that? We all have a daily duty. As common as brushing our teeth every day, God expects us to carry out the work and the calling in our lives. Every day. The same way in the same routine that you have in brushing your teeth is the same thing that we have to view when it comes to fulfilling our calling. See, looking at things from this perspective, that we have a God-given task daily, right? Our lives and our prayers and our planning, they must reflect that God's work is really our work. They have to reflect that. So why are we so quick? to give up the task of doing God's work, right? Most of us in this room wouldn't blink an eye if our boss asked us to stay an hour overtime or even a two-hour overtime. But what about when we're asked to give an hour or two at a street rally? I mean, let's be honest, right? I'm talking to you like a brother, <laughs> right? Some of us can spend all day talking with customers that we don't know, with co-workers, but don't want to testify. Huh? We don't want to do follow-up. We don't want to do home visits. Why? Why? When we get busy, right? How many ever been busy? I'll raise two hands for that one, right? When we get busy, why is our first thought to give up a church event, to give up a ministry, or something that we're doing for God? Huh? As quick as we are to drop a God thing, we could easily give up some of our TV time. We can maybe give up a family weekend. We can give up eating out several times a week. Uh-huh, just as easy. But for some, for most, it's really easy to pick the God thing first. Man, I'm, I'm too busy. I can't do it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to life group. All right, everybody hates me now, right? <laughs> Timothy got it. Hear me now. Timothy got it. He really got it. He chose the higher calling. While others were pursuing a good life, he was out pursuing God's calling and doing the will of God. He owned it. He owned the work as his work. Here today, if we're ever going to grow, if we're ever going to mature, right? If we're ever going to mature as Christians, then we have to look at it as God's work is our work. We have to take ownership of it. It's not the pastor's work. It's not the minister's work. It's not the leader's works. It's our work. It's our work. And when we own our work, it becomes our work. We begin to do it day in and day out. 
Thirdly, and lastly, Timothy took ownership of God's authority. Hear me now. He took ownership of God's authority. We see in that same verse that Paul was saying he was sending Timothy to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians in their faith. Why is it so hard? I got a lot of questions tonight. Why is it so hard for us to grasp the power of God? That it's real and that it's available for each and every one of us to use. It's hard for us to grasp that, right? I mean, God created the heavens and earth. God heals, God creates. I mean, God even takes people home, right? That power, it's real. It's very real. If you doubt that, stick around a while. You're going to see some realness of God. But why do we doubt that that same power is not available to us? It's there for us to use. It's there for us to function in it. It's there for us to, to go ahead and take it wherever we go. You know when we see this a lot? Well, I personally see this a lot, right? Is when folks are sick, right? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, like on a deathbed sick, right? But, you know, maybe just normal sick, cold, flu, or whatever, right? I've seen people go buy 29 bottles of NyQuil, but will refuse to pray for themselves. True story. <laughs> True story, right? I mean, we, we don't look at it like, oh, I can't pray for my own healing, right? We, we look at it like, I got to go see this specialist. I got to go do this. And all of that's good. But why do we doubt the power that we have access to the power of God? The power of God is available to our lives. We have the authority to pray for sick. We have the authority to basically drag people out of hell. We have the authority to build men and women's life, to speak into them and watch the authority of God function. But it's hard to fathom. It's hard to use. See, Timothy took ownership of the authority he had in Christ to strengthen and build others. See, Timothy, he could have just rode the coattails of Paul. He could have just been right there as a servant assisting him, and nobody would have looked at him any, any different. But Timothy took it upon himself. He took ownership of God's authority and said, no, I know I work with Paul, and I know I've been serving him for 16 years, but go ahead, Paul, you can send me, because I'm going to speak in these men's lives. I'm going to speak into these women's lives. I'm going to build this church because I can use God's authority too. I've seen you do it, and I know I can do it. Amen? Where would we be as a church? Where would we be as a ministry if all of us took ownership of God's authority? Praying for the sick, pulling people out of hell, huh? Building people others deemed hard to build. Huh? Where would we be if we took ownership? See, Timothy, Timothy could have been anywhere in, in the world. He started at 16 but grew in his authority. He grew in his ownership of God's authority. And as he grew, that's why finally at 37 years old, Paul said, man, this guy is doing what I'm doing, right? He's functioning in the same power and in the same anointing. He's ready for this mega church. He's ready for this ministry. He's ready to do these things because he's already doing it. He's already understood that he can do it as well. And, you know, when we look at this and we're looking at ownership tonight, right? We're looking at ownership. And in our lives, if we're ever going to grow and if we're ever going to mature as a person, as a church and as a ministry, then we're going to have to take, we're going to have to take ownership. We're going to have to see these things as ours, the work of God, the identity that God has given us, but also the power that is available to our lives. Maybe it's time 
to stop asking people to pray for you and start praying for yourself. Don't get me wrong. You can ask for prayer, right? But maybe it's time. Maybe it's time you start praying for people. Maybe it's time that you start believing God for miracles. Maybe it's time that you take that power, that resurrection power, and start believing God to do miracles all around you. See, the only difference between men and women who function in this and don't function in this is simply this. One believes that they can do it and one doesn't. That's it. That's it. it. The authority and the power doesn't change. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again and gave us that authority over death, over sin, over everything, over every demonic force. God gave us that authority. But it's up to us to believe whether or not we can use it, whether or not we can see changes in the areas that no one else says we can change it. And so I want to leave you with this. It wasn't a long message, right? <laughs> I'm going to ask the, uh, AJ to come to the piano. I'm talking to you like a brother tonight. Because I believe that where we're at as a church, it's going to take some people to grow up. Can I, can I say that? It's going to take for some people to grow up. And it isn't a bad thing. Getting older is not a bad thing. Geronimo, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Right? But it's necessary. I don't think the way I thought when I was 16 years old. I don't. I became a father overnight. I did. I became a father overnight of two children. And it changed my perspective on things. The first thing I realized is that I can't do things the same way. I gotta change. Gotta change the way I act, right? Gotta change the way I think, change the way I spend money. Things begin to change in your mind when you realize, hey, this is your responsibility, right? Growing up is not a bad thing. Maturing is not a bad thing. Sometimes we look at it like, nah, I'm cool. Nah, it's not cool. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. And in growing up, you begin to realize that taking ownership is okay. It's okay. It feels good to have your name on that paper. It does. It feels good to know that you're going home to your house. Right? Now, I'm using that as a physical example, but spiritually, it's good to know that you're doing God's will. Hear me now. Not your church is doing God's will. You're doing God's will. Not your ministry's exploding. You're exploding. Not, not oh, so-and-so's winning souls. No, you're winning souls. You're doing what God is telling you to do because I'm doing what God's telling me to do. Or trying to, right? But what about you? What about us? We hear pastors and other people come before this pulpit excited because they're in God's will. They're doing what God has called them to do. And so we go home and we look at our lives like, what am I doing? I ask myself that constantly. What am I doing? What am I doing to fulfill the calling of God? I don't have to be in another city to fulfill the calling. I don't have to have a title or other things to fulfill the calling. I can fulfill the calling every day. Because I know what God told me that I should do. When I go to work and I see somebody that needs talking or need prayer, I know what God's telling me to do. When I see something that needs to be taken care of, it's my responsibility. It isn't someone's responsibility. It's my responsibility. And in taking ownership, something happens to your life. It really does. 
something happens and you realize you become not just God's child. Hear me now. Not just God's son or daughter. You become God's fellow worker. He calls you friend. He calls you associate. Can you imagine that? The God of heaven and earth says, you're my partner in this. We're going to win the world together. We're going to help your family get saved together. We're going to see a breakthrough in your finances together. I'm going to walk with you through this. You become God's fellow worker like Timothy. Timothy became God's fellow worker because he matured. Because he took ownership of the things that are available to us. God's identity is your identity. I can't live yours and you can't live mine. You're going to have to live your own. Whether or not you accept it now or later, it's who you're called to be. Pastor shared just a minute ago. God touched my life. It was actually 15. God touched my life. Calling to God never left. Never left my life. It was just a matter of when I was ready to carry it out. Don't wait that long. Let me give you a word of advice. Don't wait that long. If God's calling you to do something, walk in the calling, right? Walk in the calling. It's going to be who you are regardless. You're going to serve them regardless. You're going to fulfill this calling, whether it's now or many, many years from now. It's better to do it now. Better to do it now. As far as the, uh, uh, as far as the power, you have the authority to function in it. Function in it. Use that authority. Use that authority that God has given you, that it's available to you. What you feel here, you can have it at your house. You can have it in your car. You can have it at work. It's not specific to here. It's not. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want to pray with you tonight. I'm going to be honest with you. It's never easy growing up. It isn't. It's hard for somebody to tell you, hey, you need to grow up. It's a hard thing to hear. Hey, you're immature. But I'm here to pray for you tonight. I'm not here to look down on you. I mean, even myself, I'm growing in areas that I need to grow up in. There's things that, like I said, I, mean, I said it on Sunday, I, I can write a book on mistakes. I've made a million of them probably make a million more my only prayer is that I get better at it get better at learning get better at maturing things that I'm doing I want to be better at that's the difference guys growing up is not a bad thing and tonight I think some of us need to grow up we need to mature we need to move into the next level of our lives take ownership of your identity take ownership of the things that that, that God has for your life right Take ownership of the calling. Take ownership of the work. This work is your work. It's the work that God has for you. It's the work that God has for me. We got to do it. Who's going to do it? Who's going to win this city for God if it isn't us? Who's going to do the work? We have to do it. You don't have to wait to be asked. God's asking you. Here today, I want to pray with those of you that say, you know what, man? I understand clearly what you're saying. And I want to make that step to start to mature. It's a great step, guys. So as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, 
what I want to do is I'm going to ask those of you that say, you know what, look, I definitely want to come and pray and accept the growth in my life. If that's you from all over this place.